Good morning to each one. It's good to see your faces this morning. Before we get started, I would like to be able to refer to our confession of faith a bit at some point. I'm wondering how many of you have a copy, or I should say, if anyone who does not have a copy. You raise the hands. Confession of faith. Okay. Those who do not have one here. Some people keep in their Bibles, some don't. Okay, so we um, we have some. I think, um, Brother Earl, where are those? The ushers, maybe some young men can uh, just keep your hands up and get a copy. <clears throat> there we go. <clears throat> keep your hands up and get a copy. Again, just for to refer to later. Uh, you can consider it yours if you'd like to keep it with you then. Okay. All right, before we continue, how about if we um, kneel? For prayer. Our Father, our God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you that Jesus was willing to come to this earth and show us the way. Thank you that he's willing to show us the way to the Father. The way that you intended for us to live on this earth. The way you intended for us to live in relationship to you. And in relationships with our fellow man. Men and women here on this earth. That are faulty. And difficult. Thank you, Father, for instituting the church, your plan to provide support, to help us through all the ages here on this earth to be faithful to you and to your plan. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for this local body, this local expression, local group where we could work out your plan for the church. Thank you, you have left us with helpful um, uh, things to do, things to express, things to see that can help to take from these uh, bodies that have these senses 
And we can use this to impact our souls and our hearts. Thank you, Father, for everything we've already heard this morning. I pray that you would speak yet again, yet further, in this part of the service. I pray that Jesus would be exalted. I pray that each of us could be furthered um, in our spirits, in our walk with you. <clears throat> we look to you. We need you. Pray, God, come and bless this assembly. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like to begin by telling a story. We're going to um, at least go most of the way through this story here at the beginning. I'd like to tell a story about a man and his wife. We're going to call them Yusta and Mariam. Yusta is the husband. Mariam is his wife. They are part of a tribe called the Milele tribe. They have a unique custom. The Milele people have a unique custom. At their weddings, Zusta is preparing to get married to Mariam. He needs to prepare something to bring as part of the ceremony. Two things, actually. And so does she. He needs to prepare some grain. Might be sorghum. Might be corn. But it has to be grain from his own field or his father's field or at least from his clan. And you still have to do the same. The second thing they need to prepare is wine. Both of them, it must come from the vineyards of his clan, and for her, it must come from the vineyards of her clan or family. And what's done with these things, the grain is ground, And at the wedding feast, the grain is mixed, the ground flour is mixed together, and they bake little cakes without leaven, and they must eat these cakes, and they must also uh, provide for their guests, at least their significant guests, <clears throat> who all partake with these cakes. Is there a better way to do this? Is this better? There we go. I don't know how to do this. <clears throat> <clears throat> and 
And with the wine, they taste the wines. And these people, wine, uh, their vineyards, a very important part of their culture. The Malay people have done this for many generations, centuries-old uh, vineyards. They could taste the difference from one village over, two villages over, the slopes there, the soil is a little different. They could taste the differences of the wines, and so they have these two wines, and they can taste the difference. They can identify which is which and which is from which area, and they mix them together, and they make a cocktail that has a third taste, a new taste. <clears throat> and they ceremonially take of this wine and provide for their important guests. <clears throat> so Yusuf and Maryam are preparing for their wedding feast, and they do this <clears throat> according to custom. Now, furthermore, their custom is that once a year, on the day of their anniversary, they need to repeat. They need to maintain this. They need to keep this going. <clears throat> haven't said yet what this custom is called. Um, traditionally, for as many generations as their lore can tell, this custom is called Pasaka. <clears throat> Pasaka. So, Yusta and Maryam, they prepare for their own Pasaka. They've been to many other Pasakas um, <clears throat> where others have been married. And some of them, they were close enough uh, favored guests that they got to partake of the items of the Pasaka. And uh, they know what this is about. And so they follow their customs and they, they do this. And they also uh, continue to do this year by year. They prepare to. I'm going to just kind of go through step by step a little bit how it goes each year for for Yusta and Mariam. So at each anniversary, they uh, partake of their own unique special pasaka, creating their own unique special blend. So the first anniversary, they do as normal. They make the cocktail, they bake their little breads, um, they even invite some friends, maybe a couple important leaders and, and their close relatives, uh, village leaders, and they have a little pasaka. <clears throat> Second anniversary, they are um, experienced some drought, farming didn't go so well. Furthermore, Yusta tried to do a little business venture, and they are under some financial strain. And um, even though the yearly anniversary feast is not expected to be a big one like when they are uh, the wedding day, um, they decide they cannot afford to pull off this pasaka. So they skip it. <clears throat> Third year. The, the, the third anniversary. <clears throat> um, by this time, his investments are taking off. They had a good year. Lots of harvest. His business is doing well. But it's making them so busy. The demands, the pressures are there. They've got to keep things rolling. It's making them so busy that um, they decide they can't take time to prepare. 
and to host a Pasaka on their third anniversary. So they skip it again. <clears throat> Fourth anniversary comes. Um, there's been a land dispute between Eustace's vineyard and his uncle's vineyard. And he realizes that if he would host a Pasaka, it would be quite awkward because of the relational strains that have come into their clan. So, again, they skip the Pasaka. Fifth anniversary. Yusta and Mariam, now their crops are doing well. They've been uh, getting along better with the uncle and they've worked out the land dispute. But uh, Yusta and Mariam have not been getting along very well recently. There's been some arguments. There's been some strain and some disagreements. And uh, they just don't feel up to hosting a Pasaka. They wouldn't quite know how to put it into words, but there's something deep down inside that kind of makes it feel a bit like a farce. Wouldn't quite have the same meaning. <clears throat> so they skip it again. The sixth anniversary, um, things are getting worse. The arguing has become worse. The marriage is, is, is not improving. Um, so they say... You know what? It's been six years. We're at our sixth anniversary. Um, since our first anniversary, we've not held it. We've not hosted a pasaka. Let's let's do it anyway. No, our marriage isn't any better. We don't feel any better about it. But it's our own internal issue. No one else is going to know. Let's do it anyway. <clears throat> so they host a pasaka. Seventh year. <clears throat> The marriage continues to decline. Uh, Yusta has spent a little bit too much time with one of the maidens that works in his vineyards. And he has fallen into adultery. And uh, they're having a crisis in their marriage. So again, they say... <laughs> For sure, we can't do this. They skip it. <clears throat> Eighth year. The marriage continues to decline. And this year he's fallen twice into adultery. Their arguing continues to increase. <clears throat> but um, they've discovered something. They've been able to keep it a secret. The public doesn't know. They can manage this. No one else is going to blame them if they uh, couldn't go ahead with their expected cultural <clears throat> ceremony. In fact, it really helped last time when they did the Pasaka. The elders in the village really, uh, it's gained them a little bit of standing. And uh, they don't want to lose that, uh, let the years slip by again. So they're going to go ahead anyway. And they have the Pasaka. But deep down inside, the whole thing begins to feel like a mockery. It feels worse than meaningless. <clears throat> it seems hosting the Pasaka has made their relationship worse rather than better. 
they feel even more empty in their souls. <clears throat> Ninth anniversary. Although they don't feel any better about it than after they hosted it last time, again, the social pressure. Again, what will people think? And furthermore, they've been learning a bit more about their cultural um, reasons for this Pasaka. And they begin to fear that if they don't do it, there's going to be some bad luck that will come to them. So they go ahead out of fear. <clears throat> Tenth anniversary. Now they have continued to broaden their horizons and develop friendships further and broader in other tribes and other cultural practices and ways of doing things. And they find that not everyone does things the way they do and other people are very happily married and they don't practice the Pasaka. They're quite delighted to learn about this because the whole thing has become quite a trial to them by now. It has been quite, become quite loathsome to them by now. Um... They also have learned that uh, there's quite a bit of hypocrisy in their tribe, in their village. Quite a few people have not been very faithful in their marriages, and they go on regularly having their pasakas every single year. <clears throat> so they say, okay, we are done with this pasaka thing. We have been enlightened. Once and for all, we will not continue this dead Tradition, this meaningless tradition, which seems to have done us more harm than good. <clears throat> Soon after their 10th anniversary and their confidence with their cultural shift, <clears throat> they have a visitor to their village. <clears throat> it's an old man. His name is Mwokozi. They have a visitor to their village. And he is quickly known as a sage, a teacher, respected man. <clears throat> and he sets about in his quiet ways to begin to teach. It's been a long time. Their village has waited for a long time to have a sage come. <clears throat> And when he opens his mouth and begins to teach, many people recognize that this is a mouth of wisdom. It's not hard to see, even by Yusta and Mariam, that this is a very faithful man, a very upright man. They feel strangely attracted to him. <clears throat> so they begin to attend his um, teaching sessions. <clears throat> They learn many, many things from Wokozi. He teaches many cultural things. He teaches many moral things. <clears throat> he teaches what has been the success of their tribe for generations. He teaches what has been his personal success and his family and his marriage and his children, <clears throat> his grandchildren. And he teaches how that he has warded off 
many, many, many difficulties because he practices Pasaka. And he has a new name for Pasaka. He says in order to understand Pasaka fully, he gives it a new name. We'll get to that in a moment. But there's two things that he teaches um, about Pasaka. Two things that he emphasizes. He emphasizes that Pasaka is very, very important in order to preserve our marriages. He emphasizes that Pasaka is very, very important in order to preserve the very fabric of our entire social structure. In other words, saying this, that it's important in order to preserve our marriages. Pasaka must be done in honor of your own personal relationship with your spouse. It must be done honorably, and it must be done to give it its rightful emphasis, elevated place, its honored place in your life. And to say that it is, in, it is important to preserve the fabric of our entire social structure, it must be done to give proper honor to our tribe. You see, says Wokozi, this has something to do with who we are. This sets us apart, and nothing can illustrate better what we stand for. The fidelity, the faithfulness, the, the giving, the blended lives. Nothing can do this better than our practice of Pasaka. And ultimately then, in a climactic meeting, <clears throat> Mokozi teaches that I'm going to give you a new Pasaka. This new Pasaka is going to be called Ushirika. <clears throat> in order for Ushirika to perform its intended function, Wokozi well, gives seven points. <clears throat> he says, Ushirika, we must protect it as a special and meaningful practice. Number two, only those who have gone through the initiation rites of the tribe may use Ushirika. Number three, only those... I'm sorry. Anyone who is not... Truly maintaining purity. He must be prevented from practicing Ushirika. And therefore, number four, every person, when he comes to the time of the ceremony of Ushirika every year, he must examine his own life and make sure that he is guilty of nothing. Any problems in relationships with his spouse, any problems in relationships with any of his other villagers, anyone in his clan, anyone. If there was any problem, it must be set right. Then he's worthy to come and to practice Ushirika. <clears throat> if not everything is clear, 
If he cannot be sure that everything is clear, he would do well to refrain until he can have full confidence. Number six, if there's a stranger that comes to the village and shows up at a feast where there's ushirika, he is not permitted to join with the others in using these symbols, these items of their ushirika ceremony. He is not permitted unless he is properly introduced and they can have full confidence that he is truly a member, a properly initiated member of their tribe, of the Milele tribe. Number seven, there is order to the ushirika. It's not something that someone can just decide to do just any time, just anywhere, just with anybody. It's not proper for um, Yusta and his wife just to quietly do it by themselves in their house. <clears throat> there are proper village leaders who administrate this <clears throat> and make sure that Ushrika maintains its elevated position <clears throat> in the Milele civilization. <clears throat> Okay, we haven't gotten yet to the 11th and 12th anniversary. We'll get there. <clears throat> Anyone have any clue which part of our confession of faith we're talking about? We're talking about communion. Yes. So, <clears throat> you can go there. It's B. Under, what number is it? I don't have the book up here. It's number 14, I believe. Under the um, <clears throat> section on um, ordinances. Page 18. Page 18. I believe it's under point number 14 and it is sub point number B. <clears throat> so I just got finished reading. Mokozi taught the uh, seven points that you have there under B. <clears throat> So, is communion important? Are we having communion today? Why are we talking about this? <coughs> um, one of the reasons that I think we're talking about this today on a Sunday morning is because communion is important. <coughs> Not everyone in this room is always present every time we practice the Lord's table here in this tribe of Milele. Um, We don't always have the opportunity to maybe go as deep into some of this. I I actually won't go incredibly deep here this morning. Um, I, I thought about talking about uh, you know, so is it a sacrament? Uh, how much of it is symbolism? How much of it is 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 real, effectual? <clears throat> Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, <clears throat> there are many things we could look at uh, from a very you know doctrinal standpoint. But mostly, our goal here this morning is to try to just think about, understand. Perhaps for most of us, it's nothing new, but um, uh, refresh 
and increase our understanding of how important uh, Ushrika is. Ushrika, by the way, in Swahili means communion or fellowship. Um, Pasaka is the Swahili or Arabic way of saying Passover. We realize that Jesus, the Mokozi, which means Savior in Swahili, and by the way, this is not Swahili culture. I made that up. <clears throat> um, the milele is eternal or eternity <clears throat> in Swahili. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus, he did teach this Lord's he taught about and practiced, demonstrated for the first time the Ushrika, the Lord's Table, um, on the day of, Pas- of Pasaka, on the day of the Passover. And I'm going to be mixing Swahili and English here. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So it's fine. <clears throat> so he did it on the day of the Passover. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and I believe that's significant. Obviously, the Passover was put in place uh, in a bit more obscure way for many, many years before to speak to the uh, future of Christ's coming and all the significance that has for the believer, both Old Testament and New Testament believer. <clears throat> I believe both in the Old Testament, they practice the uh, Pasaka, they pra- practice the Passover, um, which, by the way, in Swahili we use the word Pasaka for both Passover and for Easter. I love that. I'm not sure how all that happened, um, <clears throat> but we use exactly the same word for both which speaks of the resurrection. Not only Christ's death, but also his resurrection. Christ's death would mean nothing if it wasn't for the resurrection. And so I think we need to always remember that whenever we're practicing the Lord's table, the Lord's table, communion, that um, we do celebrate the Lord's death, but we also celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Um, That was the proof of the significance of his death. Otherwise, he would die like anyone else, and all his claims would have meant nothing. He would have been just some empty teacher, and um, there is power in the resurrection. There is power also in um, in the Lord's table. <clears throat> there is power in the Lord's table. I'm going to make it clear right from the beginning. I don't believe I or anyone else here believes in transubstantiation. <clears throat> However, I believe that there is real power in... Um, Practicing the Lord's table. Let's go to John chapter 6. I think we're going to read first here about this bread Jesus is talking about. And um, I'm going to just take the freedom to apply this with the allowance that um, maybe this isn't the, the only or even the best application of what all Jesus was talking about when he talked about the bread. I think there's many, many applications uh, we can get from this. And the eating his flesh and drinking his blood. <clears throat> Let's start here in John chapter 6, verse 43. 
Jesus said, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The belief. The life coming because of the believing is clear. It's emphasized there in the beginning. Then he says, verse 48, I am that bread of life. Clearly connecting this thing of believing on him with that bread of life, connecting it back to this symbolism of the Old Testament of eating that, um, that manna in the wilderness. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. This is now the Ushrika instead of the Pasaka. He's differentiating from the two covenants. They did it. And some of them, I believe, David in his righteousness. I believe Abraham in his righteousness. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Maybe that's going back too far to say Abraham. Uh, I believe David in his righteousness uh, partook of of the uh, the feast of the Passover in sincerity of heart and he needed to it was required by God <clears throat> he did it and he died many were dead spiritually when they partook of that Passover they died physically did not have eternal life but those who partake of the Lord's table according to God's ways not just those who are deceiving themselves not just those who are going through the rituals but those who partake of Jesus, this bread, those who partake, let's go to verse 41. Verse 50, he says, that a man may eat and not die. 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Wait, this is cannibalistic. He's speaking in shrouded terms, and we can't understand him. And if we actually do accept what he's saying, this has got to be heresy. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There we have the resurrection embedded Again, in this topic of partaking of Christ. <clears throat> Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Is it important to partake of Christ? Is it important to have Christ become, take him in and have him become a part of you? <clears throat> Otherwise, you will have no life, and you will have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. There's a promise. 
4. I will raise him because, verse 55, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Not only do we take in Christ, but we are also in Christ. Jesus says he will dwell in me. He will not just make visits. He will not just experiment. It will be his position. Verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so that he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in the Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at him, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if he shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. <clears throat> okay, we're going to break off there. This is the extent of the teaching of the Passover um, and of communion, the Lord's table, that we get from Jesus in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> we don't have the direct, we don't have any account of the direct account of Jesus having um, that supper, that last supper with his disciples here at the Gospel of John. It's the only Gospel where we don't have that account. It's also the only Gospel where we have the foot washing account. It's interesting. I think that's noteworthy. And um, I believe, am I right? Someone help me if I'm wrong. I didn't double check this. I believe this is the only account where we have Jesus talking this discourse about the blood, the, 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 his body and eating and drinking, um, him being the bread. <clears throat> I think this is the, of all the Gospels, this is the only account as well for that. <clears throat> Let's go now um, to the Gospel of Luke for the account of where Jesus... Um, institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciple. Luke 22. Luke 22, we're going to uh, start at verse 14. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve disciples, twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this pasaka with you before I suffer. <clears throat> For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new ushrika in my blood. <clears throat> or agano. Testament. New Testament. 
which is shed for you. Here Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. I want us to note the, I think, obvious connection. In verse 19, he says, This is my body, which is given for you. There, I believe, he's clearly referring to what he said about the bread, and you must eat and drink of my body, my flesh, and my blood. Otherwise, there's no part, there's no life. This is what he meant by his body. And I think Jesus used very literal terms there in John, knowing people were not going to understand him, knowing people would would be confused at best and think he's a cannibal or encouraging people to be cannibals, Um, knowing people would be offended, knowing people would turn away because of it, they would stop following him, they'd say he's crazy. Jesus still used the very literal form. I think it's that important that we understand the prominence of this. Jesus is wanting us to get it. There is, Jesus was going to literally give his body. It was going to literally be broken. His, his blood was, was to be literally poured out. And yet the connection is, can I say inseparable? From the emblems. Of that bread and wine that we use to maintain our identity, our connection with Christ, our heavenly spouse. Just like Yusta and Mariam, it was to speak of their marriage. This is to speak of our marriage with Christ. Our identity, our union, our common union, where we are brought together inseparably as husband and wife. All of these things enter into the importance, the prominence of communion as Jesus taught it. I, in my own personal experience, have consistently, every time that I have partaken of the emblems of communion, it's not a euphorial, it's not necessarily miraculous, I believe it is miraculous, uh, but it's nothing tangible, you can see, <clears throat> miraculous, it's not like my leg was crippled and it got straightened, <clears throat> but there is spiritual significance to what happens. There is a, a very real spiritual energy. <clears throat> There is a spiritual power that comes into my life. There is a type and a depth of joy that I don't experience on any other occasion. The closest that comes down to it is my experience with my wife. 
there is a spiritual depth. There is an energy. I don't have words to describe it. <clears throat> Again, it's not a lightning bolt. I don't go into some fifth heaven. You know, I don't float around walking in the air after a communion service. I. But for me, it's always been unmistakable. It's there. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if it's in Swahili. doesn't matter if it's in English. doesn't matter if I'm, you know, in the communion service washing truly dirty feet with dirt under the toenails. It doesn't matter. Um, doesn't matter if the singing is in Swahili or in English. Doesn't matter if the person is very educated. It's a brother that um, maybe it's a leader, uh, someone I look up to very much, or it's some new um, babe in Christ that I'm interacting with in this experience. But um, <clears throat> and I can't completely separate whether it is the the, the bread and the wine, or if it's the foot washing experience, or the both combined. <clears throat> but I'd like to just put that out to you. I'm not necessarily pointing to one verse and say this does it this is proof that you doing this makes you a christian or is going to keep you a christian uh it's going to make you a believer it's going to give you the that one um uh, surge of power you need for victory and you're besetting sin in your life i'm not saying any of that but i believe that there is power and that is connected through the faith that i have in Jesus. And if we practice it the way that we have been instructed to practice this, why more it can and it will have that effect. I also believe there is countless millions of people who claim to be part of the Milele tribe who practice it some weekly. Practice what they think is it. And it does nothing for them. There are others because of a certain amount of understanding and fear of God that they have and hypocrisy they know is in their lives. It does damage to them. I'm sure of that. But none of that means that if we take heed to Jesus' words with some of that awe and fear and trembling that comes when I read John chapter 6, And responding appropriately, it doesn't mean that we cannot experience what God wants us to experience. Let's go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just very briefly, again, this teaching is not mostly about... This part, uh, you know, just delineating all the practical aspects of it. Uh, but I just briefly went over seven points there. And I'm just going to read the passage here in 1 Corinthians 11, which, which is where we get uh, most, of, most of this from. <clears throat> Starting in verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> That's interesting. Jesus says, what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Okay? So that's why we have to say some claim to, they think they are, they, they're deceived to believe that they are practicing this, but it's not this. It's, it's, it's it, but it's not this. 
And he says, why? In eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, another is drunken. So you, you've already eaten and, dr- and drunken in, ac- in excess. <clears throat> you already are uh, maybe disorderly with this. Verse 22, What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So, in other words, we could say, You are dishonoring a most honorable thing. This has this is tied right in to do with the literal body, uh, flesh and blood of Jesus. He's not saying that when you bless it, it becomes the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. No, I don't think any of us believe that. <clears throat> but does that mean we must believe it is purely and only symbolic and has no direct impact in our spiritual life? <clears throat> I don't believe any of us believe that either. But sometimes in our reaction, it has a little bit of that effect. <clears throat> Let's go on. Verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, with this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. This cup, this bread, this true, right, properly used thing, you are not just fulfilling a cultural expectation. You're not just showing up so that your your your, your leaders see that your name's on the roll. <clears throat> you how does it say? You are showing the Lord's death. You're demonstrating it. You're proclaiming it. This is a testimony. This is an illustration. You are showing the Lord's death. Keeping it current until that day when he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall... Because of all this, because of how prominent, how important this is. Verse 27. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. So there is a worthy and there is an unworthy. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Put that in simple terms. What does that mean? We believe there are people who were shouting there on the day of Pentecost, on, on, the, on, the, on the day of crucifixion, on the, the hill of Golgotha, and they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. He's saying, that's what you're doing. You're directly responsible. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding the significance of what's going on here, or at least not giving it that proper significance. And so because of this, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many have lulled themselves. They have deceived themselves, a bit like... um, Justa and Mariam, they have deceived themselves and they have allowed this custom to become something totally different to them than what it was intended to be. Many are weak and sickly. Many sleep. The weak and sickly is better than the one who's sleeping, I believe. The weak and sickly, you know when your tummy hurts. You know when you have a headache. You know when you need the doctor. But if you're sleeping, I don't, I'm not usually conscious of it when I'm sleeping. How about anyone else here? 
you know, it, I think that's a state of deception. That's a state of lethargy, a state of inactivity, a state of, of uh, incompetence, uh, immobility. We talk about many things, uh, sleeping church, uh, many different things we just word for. I think it applies. <clears throat> if you're sick, you know you can go get a doctor. But if you're sleeping, you can't do anything about it until you wake up. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So this has to do with separation of the world from the world. This has to do with a right testimony to the world. <clears throat> take steps. Put your own life in order. Otherwise, God will bring discipline because ultimately the worst, if you don't take steps and God doesn't take steps, the worst is the world's going to look on. And they're going to say, that's not right. That's hypocritical. You're going to be chastened. You're going to be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Don't know what all practically they were facing, but I think that at least means there's some order. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Ushurika is important because of your own relationship with God, with your heavenly husband. It is important for that reason. It must be done to honor that. That partaking, that dwelling in Christ, that partaking of Christ, having him fill you, having you abide in Christ, him filling you. It honors It must be done with that significance in mind. It must be done with a real life experience which reflects that every day. But it's also important because you are proclaiming something bigger than you. May I say, take this the way I mean it, even bigger than God. God is ultimately big. I I believe that. And, and his bigness is also defined by, by what he instituted called the church. But it's bigger than my relationship with God. It's as big as God and his plan for fellowship with his people. And God and his plan to have his people fellowship with one another. Ushirika. It must be done to preserve the honor of God's plan. It has to do with the identity of who we are. It has to do with the identity of <clears throat> who we are in Christ and who we are together collectively. Both are completely interdependent. You cannot be an honorable person in the Milele tribe without regularly participating in Ushirika. Mungo to Saidiye. May God help us. So Yusta and Mariam 
after they've been receiving these teachings from Wokozi, God starts to stir very, very deeply in their hearts. They develop a longing for what this man has and for what he's teaching, what he says they can experience. And there's a transformation that comes. And their 11th anniversary is just around the corner. The day of their 11th anniversary arrives. And Yusuf and Mariam look at each other. You know, we've been receiving the teachings. I think I want it. I think I'm willing. Our lives really haven't been reflecting this yet. I think there's power there. I want it. I haven't completely understood how to leave our old ways. Our arguing really hasn't lessened. It's only been a couple months since my last affair with the world. My affection's going to the wrong place. I still vacillate back and forth. And they say to each other, we want to go for it. But we're not sure we really understand that we have demonstrated that we yet understand what it is like to have our lives transformed. Let's go for it in our real and practical experience. Let's cast our lot. Let's cast our lives in following this Mokosi, following his example, following his teachings. But let's be very, very careful to not dumb down these emblems that are the ultimate expression of this reality. Let's make sure we have this reality. So, not because we don't think it's important and we're busy with our vineyards or distracted by a bad relationship. All those things, they're behind us. Our reason now for not going ahead with Ushrika for our 11th anniversary is because we have understood and we have elevated the value of this thing to its proper place. We're done with that Pasaka. We want the Ushrika. So out of that motive, they skip it for their 11th anniversary. But they go on and they learn more about what it means to truly be initiated into the Belayde tribe. And they go through the initiation rites anew. This time, understanding what they're doing. This time, with some months or weeks of clarity in their own minds that they have cast their lot and their lives are showing it. 
They take that time to go back and restore that relationship with the uncle and to not just kind of let it pass with time, but to go back and, and take ownership. And, and they take their time to make things right with other people in their clan. And they have a long string of relationships, broken relationships, that they take their time to, to, to uh, weed out every one of them. And, and they spend many hours together talking and, and sharing and, and uh, forgiving one another and, and, and making things right and purifying their lives. <clears throat> And they get to the 12th anniversary. And they still have arguments every once in a while. And their lives aren't perfect. But they can see a difference, a big difference. Anytime they have an argument, they are quick to get that right and to get back in Ushrika with one another. And a right conscience with confidence that they are living according to what they know Ushrika means. So they joyfully prepare for Ushrika on their 12th anniversary. And they practice for the first time Ushrika with complete meaning. They practice with pure joy. Not only in honor for their marriage and their relationship, but also in honor for what this means. Their identity with the Milele tribe. And in honor for their teacher, the Mokosi. They find in the coming months that through this act... And its significance lived out in their daily lives. Their marriage has been strengthened. Their ushrika with all their neighbors and relatives, if Mokosi himself has been strengthened. And they have a power they have not known before. A power not in the physical flour, the bread, the wine. But in their obedience to using it. And the physical act and the effect that that has on their spirits. They can't completely figure it out. But they know their lives have been transformed. And they have a power which is renewed time and time and time again. My allegory is faulty. doesn't all hold through, but I think it helps a little bit. May God help us to value in its proper place, Ushrika, in our daily experience and in our physical use of physical things. May God bless you.